I was talking to a man that ha- in, in her church that uh, uh, has uh, three daughters. <clears throat> They're all in their, their late 20s and early 30s. And all three of his girls are characters. But there's one uh, who is uh, a character of characters. You know how the Lord is Lord of Lords? Well, this girl is a character of characters. Uh, She lives out of town, and she came home to visit her parents in May. And he was telling me that when they turned the calendar to July... They found a little note that this daughter had written on their calendar. She had written on her calendar, only 275 more shopping days to Linda's birthday. (laughs) He said, that wasn't all. He said, when we found that note, we started flipping through the calendar, and there was a note on every single month about some gift-giving opportunity that we had for Linda. Christmas, you know, all this other stuff. Uh, She wanted to make sure that her parents didn't forget that she liked to be loved by them. Now, I want to tell you, God feels the same way that Linda did. He wants us to remember him and show him our love and our affection. And so in the Bible... He gives us hints and reminders about how we should love him and be affectionate uh, to him. Now, I know there's people that might be here this morning and say, well, preacher, I'm just just not an affectionate person. And I want to tell you, I think everybody should be affectionate. I think God wants everybody to be affectionate. And, And I know people might say, well, by nature, I'm just not an affectionate person. Well, by nature, I'm a sinner. And so are you. The point, of, the point of Christianity is we're supposed to get the nature of God. And God is an affectionate God. God is a God that shows his love. And so we need to learn to not only be affectionate toward those that God has put in our life that he wants us to love, but we need to learn to be affectionate to God. To say that God needs us is probably an exaggeration because, as we sang in one of the songs, he made the cattle on a thousand, he made everything, and everything we have is a gift from him. But to say that God wants us is an understatement. I want to remind you this morning that the reason God made us, the reason that God created us, is because he wanted a people that not only he could love, but a people that would love him back. And you may not realize it this morning, but when, when we have a worship service like this, that's what we in effect are doing. The word worship means to direct your love towards somebody. When we worship God, we direct our love toward God. And so when we have a worship service, we get together and together... Tell God that we love him. We do that by our singing. We do that by the fellowship that we enjoy in this place. We do that when we pray. Uh, we do that when we open the Bible and read about from the Bible how much we, he, he loves us. It's our way of getting together and together, looking to heaven, lifting our voices and saying, God, we love you. We love you. That's what he wants. 
Not, not only is that why he made us, that's why he bought us back. That's why he redeemed us from our sin. He wanted a people that would love him. I told you the story before about that little boy that made that little toy sailboat. He took it out to a lake by his house and put it on the water. He wanted to sail, but to his dismay, the wind caught it and drove it across the lake from him. A few days later, he was walking by a toy store and he saw in the window the little boy boat that he had made. He went in to the shopkeeper and said, hey, that boat you got in the window's mine. And the shopkeeper said, no, it's not. I bought it from another little boy that didn't want it. And he said, no, the little boy said, it's mine. Come here, I'll show you. It's got my initials on the bottom. He, and he went over to the window and took the boat out. Sure enough, his initials were on the bottom of the boat. And the, the shopkeeper said, well, I just can't give it to you. I, I paid for it. I bought it. If you want it, you'll have to buy it. And, and, and the little boy said, well, how much does it cost? And the shopkeeper named a price. And the little boy said, well, I don't have that much money. Will you save it? Until I can raise that much money? And the shopkeeper said, yeah, since you made it, and it's really, you made, you made it, I'll, I'll keep it for you, but you got to buy it. And he went out and worked, cut grass, and, 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 and did other things around the house to earn money. He came back a week or so later. He said, okay, I got the money. I want to buy my boat back. And he went out of the shop after buying that boat, saying, little boat, little boat, you're mine twice. I made you, and I bought you. That's exactly what God did to us. He made us and then he bought us back from sin. And so he can say the same thing to us, every single one of us. You're mine twice. I made you to love me. I made you so that I could love you. And I bought you back for the very same reason. That's why he went to Calvary. That's why he suffered on the cross. That's why he dipped his own soul in the torments of hell. That's why he went into the grave and came up from the grave three days and three nights, 72 hours later. That's why he did all that. That's why this morning he sits on the right hand of God as our advocate, reminding the Father every time that we fall short of his glory (coughs) that all of our sins, all of our sins, are under his blood. Why did he do it? Because he wants a people to love and a people that will love him back. He wants us to show him our affection. Not doing that, you have missed the main point in life. You may be a success in every other area of life. You may have a good job. And you may have a good income, and you may live in a nice home, and you may drive a nice car, and you may be well-respected, and you may have a lot of friends. But if you're not loving on God, if you're not showing God your, your worship, your love toward Him, and your affection toward Him, you're missing the main point in life. Amen. That's why you were made. That's why you, <coughs> that's why you were bought back. That's why God paid the price of your sin. Think about it. Marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. Uh, Christ is the groom. We, as the church, are part of the, the, the uh, uh, make up the bride. Think about your marriage. The husband may be a good provider. He may go out and work, and he provides a place to live, and he puts food on the table, and he put clo- he puts clothes on, on, on the family's back, and he provides everything that the family needs. But if he is not showing affection, 
to his wife, if he's not showing affection to his children, look, that's what they desire more than anything else. I have known fathers, I have known husbands that have given their spouses and have given their children everything they want, everything they desire, but they don't show love. And you talk to their spouses, you talk to their kids, every single one of them will say, what I want more than anything else is more my dad to love me and to tell me he loves me. And that's that's what God wants. I mean, to... God loves us, and he wants us to love him back. And in the Bible, he gives us hints and reminders that we should be affectionate toward him and show our love toward him. Think about it. Think about the things that he puts in the Bible to remind us of how he wants us to love him. One of the things he puts in the Bible is baptism. Every time we see somebody being baptized, we ought to be reminded of two things. We ought to be reminded, (coughs) first of all, how much God loved us. I always say, buried in the likeness of his death. Every time we baptize, we are reminded that Jesus Christ died in our place. Every time we baptize, we should be reminded that somebody else paid the price of our sin. Somebody else suffered our hell for us. Somebody else made the way so that we could be made right with God. We didn't do that on our own. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And every time we see baptism, we need to be reminded that we are loved by God. And every time we're reminded that we're loved by God, we ought to be reminded he wants us to love him back. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Every time we see baptism, we're reminded of how much he loves us. And we ought to be reminded of how much we love him. And how much he wants us to show that affection toward him. Baptism. Lord's Supper. We had the Lord's Supper last week. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that little piece of bread represents the body, his body that was broken for us. That little piece of juice represents the blood that was shed for us. When the men pray, they usually mention that in their prayers. The bread represents the body. Juice represents the blood. Body that was broken. Blood that was shed. We ought to be reminded of two things. Number one, how much God loves us. Look, Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Not for any sin that he committed. He was perfect. He didn't commit sin. He was tempted in all points like his we, yet without sin. What took him to the cross? It was our sin. Not his sin, our sin. And his love for us. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life. For his friends. And before we were his friends. The Bible says. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. So every time you hold that little piece of bread. Every time you hold that little cup of juice. You ought to be reminded first of all. That God loves you. Hey God. Sorry I didn't mean to startle. Some of your eyes went like this. God loves you. And we need to be reminded every time we take the Lord's Supper that there's a God in heaven who loves us. And second of all, who wants us to love him back. He wants our love. 
Just think of it. The God that created the universe, the God that holds it all together. He made us and he redeemed us because he wants a people to love him. That's why he did everything he did for us so that we would love him. We would love him. So he gives us baptism. He gives us the Lord's Supper. Second of all, he gives us accounts in the Bible. Accounts of real people and what happened in their lives to remind us of how much he loves us and how much he wants us to love him. There's a wonderful story in the book of Hosea about a man who was instructed by God to go marry a harlot. They have a child uh, together. Uh, And then they have two more children. If you read the book of Hosea, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Hosea named his second two children names that indicate that he thought his wife had been unfaithful. And and he was not the father of those other two children. And you read the story of Hosea. Uh, Gomer, his wife, leaves. And God tells him to go after her. And he ends up buying her at an auction for slaves. And he brings her back to his home, not to make her a slave, but to restore her as his wife. Again, the whole point of the book of Hosea is to tell us how much God loves us. To tell us the lengths that God will go to to show us his love. The lengths that God will go to 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 prove to us how much he loves us and how much he wants us to love him. And so we read in that story, a true story, not, not, not a parable, but a true story of a man and his wife that, that God hints and God tells us, hey, I love you and I want you to love me back. We can, go, we can read in the, in the book of the Song of Solomon, another true story about King Solomon. And again, you have to study the book of Solomon to get the, get the point of it. A lot of people read the book of Solomon and say, I have no idea what they're talking about. There's some pretty language in there, but what's the, the point of the story? The point of the story is King Solomon, who had 300 wives and 700 concubines. I, re- <laughs> I read a story about a farmer that said, boy, Solomon must have been a big farmer. He had 700 combines working in the field. No, not... <laughs> It wasn't combines. It was concubines. Thousand women. Uh, But anyhow, King Solomon was passing through his kingdom one day, and he saw a beautiful young lady. A beautiful young lady that he wanted to add to his to, to his harem. A beautiful young lady that he wanted to make his wife. He goes up and proposes to her, and she says, No, I have a shepherd boy that I'm in love with. And even though you're the king, and even though he promised her all sorts of wonderful things, if she would come and be his wife, that little Shulamite girl said, I love my shepherd boy, and regardless of what you offer to me, I'm going to stay true to him. Again, a wonderful story of God's love. A wonderful story that says we ought to love God regardless of what the world has to offer, regardless of how the world tries to get us to pull us apart from God, that we have a God that loves us and wants us to love him. Love him. That's why we were made. That's why we were redeemed. So that God could have a people who by choice, not by force, God doesn't force us to love him. 
Not one time has God done anything in your life to force you to love him. He just keeps loving and loving and loving and loving. And because he first loved us, we love him. And that's what he desires. That's what he wants. I can remember when my kids were little. We always had a routine at night. They would come up. And before, after we had our devotions and our prayers, they would come up at night, throw their arms around me, and they would say, I love you, Daddy. And then give me a great big slobbery kiss. Both of them. Even Adam, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, if I could go back and relive those days. That's how God feels. He wants us to come up, throw our arms around him, and say, Daddy, I love you. I love you. That's what it's, look, you ask any father in this place this morning that have had this same experience, where when their kids were little, they'd come up and unreservedly express their love you'll find that those are some of the sweetest times that exist in that father's life when their children threw their arms around them and without any reserve at all. Say, I love you. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. That's why he loved us so much. He wants a people that will come to him and say, Daddy, I love you. I love you. Not because I have to, because I love you. Because you first loved me. That's why we have baptism. That's why we have the Lord's Supper, so we can remember how much he loved us, so we'll love him. That's why there's true stories in the Bible about, about in the book of Hosea, in the book of Song of Solomon, and the other places in the Bible. That's why Jesus told some of the parables. That's why he told the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Again, as a reminder that God loves us. Even when we fail him, even when we walk away from him, even when we say, I don't want to be part of the family anymore. I want to go into the far country and live my life the way I want to live it. I don't want somebody telling me. I don't want dad telling me how to live. I want to live the life that I want to live. The point of this story of the parable of the prodigal son is we have a God who never gives up on us. A God that will keep wooing us to come to him. A God who, who even when we go in, 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 into sin, and even when we go into the world, and even though we may tell God, I don't want any part of your religion. I want any part of Jesus. I don't want any part of anything that has to do with you. God still doesn't give up on us. He's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And so he keeps the Holy Spirit after us, and after us, and after us, and after us. The Holy Spirit will only give up after we say no so many times. After we reject Jesus so many times, there'll come a time when the Holy Spirit will say, no more, I'm done. I'm done. Please, 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 please. Don't let the Holy Spirit get to that point in your life. If you're here today and you've never been saved, there's a God that loves you. There's a God that has pursued you your whole life to make you part of his family. He invites you today. He invites you right now to come to Jesus Christ. You're a sinner. That sin separates you from God. That sin disqualifies you from being part of God's family. But I want to tell you something this morning. I've got good news. God took care of the sin. 
He paid for the sin. Jesus Christ, that's what Jesus Christ paid for when when you went to Calvary. He paid for your sin. And he invites you to come this morning and be part of his family. He invites you to come, even though you may have said in times past, I don't want any part of God. I don't want any part of Christ. I don't want any part of the cross. I don't want any part of God at all. God has never given up on you. God will call and call and call and call and call, and he wants you to come, and he invites you to come, and wants you to be part of his family. Because he loves you. He loves you. I don't want a person leaving this place this morning with any doubt in your mind that there's a God in heaven that loves you as an individual, that loves me as an individual. Yes, he loves the church, but he loves you as an individual. He sent Jesus to die for you as an individual. And he wants a people to take that gift of salvation, become part of his family, and then love them. Love them. Love them. Listen, let me ask you, when's the last time? When's the last time you looked to heaven and just said, God, I love you. You're such a good God. I love you. That's what he desires. That's why he made us. That's why he redeemed us. To be a people that will love him. And he desires more that more than anything else. That we as his people will love him. Because he knows that if we love him, we'll walk straight. We'll do what we're supposed to do. Because if you love God the way you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it'll keep us on that straight and narrow way. It'll keep us from getting too far out in the ding weeds. There is a word called ding weeds, by the way. Adam looked it up, verified that it was an actual term. Not making it up. I'll define it. If anybody wants to know what the meaning is, you see me after church, I'll define it for you. But it keeps us from getting off of course. It keeps us walking the way that God wants. If you love him, if we love him the way we're supposed to love him, it'll keep us living straight. Listen, he wants our affection. He wants our love. Amen. And he, he's proven his love for us. I've tried over the years to describe to you how much God loves us. I've preached sermons. I've told stories. I've used illustrations. I have failed. Because the love of God is almost indescribable. That's right. From a human standpoint, we can only scrape the surface. We can only look at the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. When we get to heaven and the blinders come off, and we see God the way He is, and we understand the way that we only will understand when we get to heaven. We will be overwhelmed. We will be overwhelmed by the love that our God has for us. Until then, just believe your preacher. There's a God in heaven who loves you. He loves you more than you ever know until you come into His presence. He loves you. Amen. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants us to love him back. Let's love him back. Let's be affectionate. Yeah, I'm not an affectionate person. You are if you're, if you're trying to give God's nature. He's an affectionate God. He loves us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that love. Thank you for the love that drew salvation's plan for the grace 
that brought it down to man for what Christ did for us on Calvary. And Father, I pray if there's even just one person here this morning that's never received Christ as their Savior, that this morning they, as they are meshed and surrounded by the love that you have for them.